You are listening to the Life Church Podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Kathy Peternell. I'm Kathy Peternell, for those of you who don't know me, and I really want to tell you that I'm just a fill-in today, so you need to come back to hear Pastor Ross. For those of you that may be visiting with us, please do that. Um, I'm the senior adults pastor for Life Church, and by the way, we are having a luncheon on Friday. Check and find out about that. We're going to be at the MCL in, in uh, I think it's in Indy. So if you can join us, we'd love to have you do that. Uh, I'm also the director of pastoral care, and then sometimes they let me preach. And so this morning, um, I hope you will not be disappointed as we get into the Word of God. We are dealing with a time in David's life that is, as we've talked about, the shadow king. He has come to the lowest of states in his life. He's made a lot of mistakes. He's given in to his own desires that have created such problems in his family and and just disappointment among his children. They have rebelled. We see that Absalom, right now, who we are talking about, has has rebelled against his father, has come to the place where he uh, tried to usurp the kingdom from his father, and he's been killed. That was a part of last week's message. For those of you that are new to us, we are an expository preaching church, which means we take the Bible, the book of a Bible, and we go verse by verse through it. Sometimes we have some deviations for a little while, but basically we are a Bible preaching, expository preaching church. So we're in the the 18th chapter of 2 Samuel this morning. David has admonished his leadership when they go out to fight this battle to just be careful and be be generous toward his son, this son that's rebelling against him. He admonishes them four times, be gentle with the young man Absalom. It's almost like, be gentle with my kid. He knows that this young man is wrong, but he knows he's the biggest reason this young man is wrong. And I know that that as parents, we try to bring our children up in the right way, and we know that not everything they do is a direct result of our our bringing up. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. They have a, a choice to make. They have a free will. But sometimes there are things that we're responsible for that causes our children to go in directions that the scripture says we can provoke our children to wrath. And we need to be people that are careful that the way we live is many times the way we will see our children live. And we don't want to set a bad example for them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll get into this portion of scripture. Father, we thank you today for the wonderful time we've had in worship. You've been so precious to be here with us. And Lord, I know you're the God that wants to heal and wants to restore. And you're not here for us to have any condemnation because Jesus paid the price for that. But Lord, we also know that there are ramifications that come by choices that we make that we have to live with as well. And Father, you're the one that gives us the grace and the strength and the courage to trust you in the midst of everything that comes our direction. So this morning, we're looking to you to be with us, to open your word, to share those things that we need to hear. And Father, bring healing to our heart where only you can. We thank you for your goodness and your love today. We thank you for Jesus. No better name, no greater one to be our friend, 
our comforter, our succor. You were there for us, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We know that the battle had taken place in an area. David had had to leave Jerusalem because his son had come against him. He knew it was that or, or die, and, and he ran out, and he came to a, a town that was uh, Mahanium. And there, he was in that town. We know that, that he sent uh, one of his friends back to be an advisor to Absalom. You gotta read the story. If you don't know it, go back and read these chapters. But we know that God allowed that particular advisor to, to kind of delay Absalom coming out against his father. It was just enough time for David to kind of get forces come, to come together. And so the battle ensued. David wanted to go out to battle. But they said, no, 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 don't you go out because you're so valuable to us. It would be better that thousands of us were killed than you were killed. And so he stayed there and he listened to them. The battle was fought in an area that was very rough terrain. It was an area where there was a, a woods that, that was, uh, a, it says that more people were killed because of the woods than for the, the, the battle itself. And we know that in the process of this, Absalom is riding his donkey, he's going through the woods, and he gets his head and hair caught in a tree. The donkey goes on, and there he's hanging. Well, if we look back into the scripture, we know that he cut his hair once a year. And when he did, the weight of the hair was five pounds. If you talk about you know, I guess for a man, that would be thrilling to have that much hair, you know. Um, it it's suddenly departs sometimes along the way, doesn't it? But he had all this hair. It was a source of his pride. And it hung him in a tree. It hung him in a tree. It's amazing how things that we get prideful seem to hang us up, right? And that's what happened to him. He wasn't dead, but there were people who saw, there were soldiers of, of Joab, who was David's general, who saw this young man hanging in the tree. And so they came back to Joab and told him, and Joab says, why didn't you kill him? And they said, well, we heard David say, be gentle with the young man. Be, be careful with him. Don't hurt him. We're not going to do that. And this one man said, I know David would hear about it, and I'd be dead. He said, I'm not going to do it, but Joab. Joab was a vicious, vicious man. He was a man only concerned about himself and his own position. And it says that he took and, and took three daggers and put them into the heart of Absalom. And then called for some of his armor bearers and those that were his assistants to come and they, they, they killed him and they threw him in a pit and they threw stones on him. Well, you know, if you study the scriptures, you find out that that was exactly what was supposed to happen in a sense to someone who rebelled against their father, who cursed their father. They were to be stoned, they were to be taken to a city gate, the people were to stone them, and they were to be thrown into a pit. And they threw this young man into a pit and covered him with stones. Rightful. According to the law, it was correct. But there was a man who didn't want to even begin to think that that would be true of his son. And so... Where we are in the scripture today is a place where they are going to now bring word back to David about the victory. When Absalom is finally dead, all of the people who were a part of, of his army, they just scattered. They went home. There was nothing left for them. And rightfully, David was king. He had never had that position taken from him. 
I wonder, and it's just speculation on my part, but I wonder while Absalom was hanging in that tree by his hair, I wonder if God gave him just an opportunity maybe to get things right with him. You know, sometimes those periods of time when we're under duress or suffering are those times that God uses to get our attention. I wish he could do it in an easier way. Are you with me? Couldn't he do it easier? But we are all blockheads. We all get into, we, we stubborn. And he has to sometimes use terrible means to get our attention. So Joab has been justified, he feels, by the scripture for the thing that he did. And we said, David is a shadow king. He seems to be under Joab's hands. What does Joab have that he can hold him down? Well, he was the one that David gave the letter to to make sure that Uriah, who was Bathsheba's wife, was murdered. He knew some of the shortcomings of David. And he, it was almost like a blackmail, so to speak. So he, was, he had this, this ability to really have power over David and made David a shadow king, not really the one who was in charge. You also remember, and I want to just go back to this, Absalom built for himself a pillar. Do you remember Pastor Nathan talking about that last week? It was a pillar. It was a monument to himself because apparently he had had four children, four sons, but for some reason they were dead. And so he wanted to have a place where he would have be remembered. And usually a monument is set up by somebody else for your remembrance, but he set it up for himself. Do you know that, that it became something that later on the, the parents in Israel would take their children out to that monument and would share the story about Absalom. And they would throw stones at the monument, or they'd spit at it as, a, as an expression of, of, this is what happens to someone who doesn't pay attention and, and obey their parents. <laughs> Very interesting, isn't it? But the real monument in all of our lives the best thing that we can ever do is got to be what we live out, how we live. That's the best thing. I know I have done many, many funerals, having been a hospital chaplain for many years. And one of the things I always told people, the greatest monument you can have to your parent or to your loved one is that you live with the values that they thought was important. And having a life that shows forth that which you believe and stand for is the greatest memorial you ever need. Second Samuel 18, verses 19 through 23, it says, Then Zadok's son Ahimaaz said, Let me run to the king with the good news that the Lord has rescued him from his enemies. It is good news, isn't it? The kingdom is now being restored back to David. And Ahimaaz, if you remember, he was the son of Zadok, the priest. He was the one that whenever uh, the information was being gone over between Ahithophel and, and, and Hushai and so on, he, that information was communicated to him and he'd run to David with the information. And you know, that, that area, it took, it took somebody with some stamina to be able to go and run like he did. He was really in a place where he, it was dangerous for him, but he did it because he loved David. He was on his side. He believed he was the rightful king. He was a faithful courier and he had great desire 
to share good news. Don't you like to share good news? Man, if I can share good news over having to come to somebody with something awful, that's, that's first place, right? And so, so we find that he was ready. And it says that Joab says, no, Joab told him. It wouldn't be good news to the king that his son is dead. You can be my messenger another time, but not today. Do you know that there are certain times when it takes certain people to deliver certain messages? We can't believe that we are the cure-all for everything. We need to be wise enough to know that it might not be our place to deliver that message. He wanted to deliver good news, but it wasn't all good news. Then Joab said to the man from Ethiopia, go tell the king what you have seen. And the man bowed and ran off. The second man was a Cushite. He was a follower of David, but he wasn't a man of Israel. He was one who, who loved David, was a supporter of David, and so he was there in David's army. But did you ever wonder why, why was it that he wanted to send this man rather than Ahimeaz? Well, this man didn't have the same value to Joab that Ahimeaz had. And Joab knew how David took bad news about his enemy being killed. Do you remember when, when the Amalekite came and and was going to tell David how Jonathan and, and Saul were dead and how he had killed Saul. What did David do? He killed the messenger, didn't he? He killed the messenger. What happened whenever the messengers came, or the two men came and said, We went in and killed Ishbosheth, who was Saul's son, while he was laying on his bed. How did David act there? He killed them too. How dare you take advantage of an innocent man on his bed? So David didn't take even the killing of his enemy well. So to send out Ahimaaz, who was the son of Zadok, who was the priest, probably to become one of the next priests, to send out this young man who had been so faithful and risked his life in the past for David, that would just be stupid. Because we don't know what David, how he'll react when he hears about his son. And so it was, it was risky. And he thought it'd be better that this, shoot, this Cushite just go. Send someone that doesn't matter as much. But what do we see in Ahimaaz? We see an eager messenger. You know, there's nothing wrong with being an eager messenger of good news, is there? And we saw that he also, it, it tells us um, that later on, that he actually was able to outrun this Cushite because he knew a better route. He was a skillful person. I mean, he seems to be the one you ought to send, right? And he was willing to travel in the most horrible places to get this message across. But Romans makes a, writes, there's a, Paul writes in Romans and it says, I know what enthusiasm you have for God, but it's misdirected zeal. Can there be such a place as misdirected zeal? Why did he want to go? Well, he knew he had a great message. And he knew there was a great audience waiting for him. You know, people love to give that which is a great message to a great audience. But why do you want to do it? See, we can do the right thing in the wrong way because of attitude. And I think that was the problem with this, this young man. His attitude, what did he want to do this for? I think he wanted recognition. 
You know, uh, willingness and passion are good. But you got to be willing to deliver the entire message. What do we find out about him? Yes, let's go on to read a little bit more. It says, why should you go, my son, Joab uh, replied. There is no reward for you. It seemed like Ahimaaz, he, he just wasn't giving up. I'm, gonna, I'm going back after Joab. I want to I wanna go. I want to go. And he goes on to say in verse 23, yes, but let me go anyway. I got to go. Joab finally said, all right, go ahead. So Ahimaaz took the less demanding route <clears throat> by way of the plain, and he ran to Bahanium, ahead of, of the Ethiopian or the Cushite. Skilled messenger, eager messenger. It says, while David was sitting between the inner and the outer gates of the town, the watchman climbed to the roof of the gateway by the wall. As he looked, he saw a lone man running toward them. He shouted the news down to David, and David replied, if he's alone, he has news. And as the messenger came closer, the watchman saw another man running toward him, and he shouted, here comes another one. And David replied, he also will have news. Two men running. David is in a very interesting place. It says he's sitting between the inner and the outer gates. And in this particular city, and in many of the cities, they would have one gate that you might go through initially into the city, but then there would be an extreme left, and there would be another gate. And the reason for that was so that when the enemy might try to come in, he can't just plunge right into the city there would be a, a, de, a, a need to turn, so therefore it would, it would deter them some. And David is sitting between these two gates. Why do you suppose he was there? I think he's anticipating what's going to happen. But he's not sure just how it's gonna happen. He's anticipating that there's going to come people through the gates. But are they coming with good news? Or are they going to come and, and just break through and, and come into the city and, and destroy us? I think David knew that regardless of what was happening, he was responsible. Maybe he thought, if I sit here in the middle of the gate and it's bad news and they come storming in, they'll kill me and I'll be out of the situation. We don't know exactly what, but he's sitting there waiting for news. He's not into the city in a place of safety. He's in a place where he wants to hear whatever that news is, he wants to hear it first. And it says that, it goes on to tell us in the 28th verse, that Ahimea, that um, the 27th verse, the first man runs like Ahimeaz, son of Zadok, the watchman said. He's a good man and comes with good news, the king replied. You see, David was already encouraged because it was just one man running and then a second one man. That means that if there had been a, a defeat, there would have been an onslaught back to that house, back to that city. By even the people of David, they would be running to get away from the enemy. But there's only two runners. So that must be there's some good news. It must mean that, that there has been a victory. And so he's anticipating that how God was going to make a way, in a sense, for a victory. But yet, in his heart, but what about my son? We see that Ahimeaz cried out to the king, everything is all right. 
And he bowed down before the king with his face to the ground and said, praise the Lord your God who hath handed over the rebels who dare to stand against my Lord the king. This good man, Ahimeaz, and David recognized that. Ahimeaz is bringing news, it's good news. And, and Joab knew that that's exactly how David would interpret it. And so what does Ahimeaz, what's his message? Well, the troops have been successful. Boldly, he's proclaiming there's a victory. And then he's saying he does obeisance to the king. He humbles himself in the presence of David. And then he honors God for the victory. He gave God the praise. I mean, there's nothing wrong with his message, is there? It's all the message we want to hear. We always want the positive. We always want to know that God is being praised and victory is there and, and boldly the troops have gone through. He was skilled in his delivery of a message that he wanted to communicate. Boy, that gets us always in a problem. When the message we give is what we want to communicate and not necessarily all the truth. For there was a vital piece of information David was looking for and he refused to give David the whole message. What part? Your son's dead. Why? Why do you suppose he did that? Maybe it was out of fear. Maybe it was fear that David wasn't going to appreciate him as much if he came with this kind of a message. Maybe he was afraid of what was gonna happen if he did. He left out an essential part. So what looked like a good message was really not a good message. You know, today our, our pulpits are filled with highly likable pastors who preach good messages, yet leave out essential truths that people need to hear. They want their messages to be well received. But we must remember that good news, with good news, sometimes there's bad news that produces a better news inside of us. In 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter in verses three through five, it says, for a time there will come they who are not enduring sound doctrine, who want to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate to themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from hearing truth. We're finding that to be so prevalent in our day. Make me feel good. Our goal is not to be well-liked. Our goal is to love people. And sometimes you have to tell people hard things. David says, what about Absalom? Is he all right? And listen to what Ahimaaz does. When Joab told me to come, there was a lot of commotion, but I didn't know what was happening. What did he do? He absolutely lied. He knew exactly but he didn't want to give that message. I was looking at a portion of scripture that Paul writes, and it's in 1 Corinthians chapter two. And Paul told about how he came to the Corinthian people. You know, they were ones that give us, give us a new thing. Tell us something that's just gonna make us so excited. And listen what Paul says 
Second Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. I didn't use lofty words or impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching was, not, was very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so that you would not trust in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Things can be flowery. Things can be skillful. Messengers can be eager. But they need to say the whole truth. And David says, wait here, the king told him, so Ahimaaz has to step aside. You don't have what I need. You don't have the whole thing I need to understand. Stand there. He was put aside because his message lacked everything that needed to be said. It goes on to tell us that in the 31st verse, then the man, the Cushite, arrived and said, I have good news for my Lord the King. Today, the Lord has rescued you from all those who rebel against you. But David says, what about young Absalom? The king demanded, is he all right? David's chief concern was that son. He didn't seem to be concerned about the victory. Later on, and you'll see it in the passage we're going to be dealing with next week, how Joab has to rebuke him. He said, you'd be glad if we were all dead. You, you, have, you aren't even appreciating the fact of what they've done. And your wives and your, your family, the rest of your family is saved. All you are so focused on is this one son. And this one son is a rebellious son. This son's been out to hurt you and destroy you. It says, uh, the Ethiopian said, May all your enemies, my lord, the king, both now and in the future, share the fate of this young man. You know, I believe that David had what we call anticipatory grief. I believe that David anticipated that this could happen. That's why he said what he said. He had prepared himself somewhat, and yet when it came, he was not prepared. And those of you that have gone through the loss of someone you value very much know that. You may, some people may lose their loved one very quick, but others have periods of time that they have to, to watch that person, you know, just get worse and worse. And, and there's what we call an anticipatory grief, where little by little you grieve along the way. You know what's coming. My mama had muscular dystrophy for, for 35 years. And she was at a place at the end where she could only turn her head, couldn't lift any part of her body. And I knew it was coming to the end and I even prayed for it to come to an end. But when it did happen, <laughs> No matter how you think you're prepared, you're never prepared. And especially here, because really in David's heart, <laughs> he knows that God's doing, that this is the right thing, that this is probably going to happen, but it, it's almost hope against hope. Don't let it happen. It says in 33, the king was overcome with emotion. He went up to the room 
over the gateway and burst into tears. And as he went, he cried, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. A bitter cry of a grief-filled father, but of a guilty father. A guilty father. His son's wickedness deserved exactly what he got. But you know, Spurgeon, great expositor, said, and I read you this, our children may plunge into the worst of sin, but they are our children still. And those who have experienced that kind of pain can sense what David was feeling. It was natural to have emotion at the loss of someone. It's natural, it's normal, it's instinctive, it's the way we're made. But David knew that part of this, the tragedy, the soil of this tragedy, definitely was on him. He had been too weak to discipline his children. And now the Lord had to allow discipline to come. And it was much worse. It hurt his heart so much. You know, there are characteristics associated with grief and loss. And the first of those is denial. I can imagine, surely not. Surely this hasn't happened. And a second might be the aspect of bargaining. Did you ever bargain with God over anything? If you do, I'll do. And especially when someone is dealing with the possibility of the loss of someone, there's lots of bargaining. If you only, oh, I promise I will. <laughs> but how many times have you seen that bargaining never, never really follow through? And then there's the aspect of the anger that comes out of grief. The anger at other people who can't understand how you feel. Or maybe they've been, I, I can imagine David being angry at Joab. Angry at others. Angry at the one who died. Absalom, how could you be such a fool? But the worst kind of anger is the anger we have toward ourselves when we realize that we have been parcel to this thing happening. We call it the should'ves, could'ves, would'ves. Ever have any of those? I, I guarantee that if you have lost anyone in your life, you've have should'ves, could'ves, would'ves. Because we all have places where we wish we would have done something a little bit different than we did. Even in the best of the circumstances. If I just would have spent a few more minutes there. If I just would have got there sooner. And we, we have all those should'ves, could'ves, would'ves. What might be David's? That responsibility he felt for, for Absalom's rebellion. Can you imagine what he felt when he heard 20,000 men died? Why? Over him. Over a rebellion his son caused against him. 20,000 people are dead. He had been warned by the prophet, Nathan. Because of the things that you've done, you're, there's never going to be a sword depart from your house. And we know that, you know, whatever, for instance, it talked about the, remember he, um, Nathan used the story of the, of the lamb 
about how this man had taken a lamb and, and it belonged to a poor man. And the principle is if you stole something, you paid it back four times. Do you know that David was going to pay back four times for having Uriah killed? First of all, the baby of Bathsheba that died. Secondly, his son, Anon. Then here is Absalom. And later on, there's another son that is going to die, Adonijah. Four times, four different things. Don't think that our failures don't bring us responsibility and more so. What we sow, we reap, and we always reap more than we sowed. And I know this sounds like a downer. I don't have a jump up for joy message, except, let's go on. <laughs> David's actions were actually not only an anger with himself, but in anger with God, in a sense, why didn't you do something differently? After all, you are God. Ever feel that way? There was regret. There was guilt. There was shame. All the should-haves, could-haves, would-haves. And he looked at how many people suffered because of him. And then he misrepresented God and his justice. At the hour of our emergency is what we find out what's really inside of us. Isn't that true? This was inordinate grief. This is where grief gets so out of control that you become hysterical in outbursts, where you become ir irrational and you speak things that you wouldn't normally speak. David had the right to his emotion, but he also needed to have the strength that he had to pull from his God to know how to deal with that emotion. Feelings aren't wrong. It's what we do with them. And it's natural to have emotion at the loss of something. But I want to take you to a couple of instances in scripture. Do you remember when Aaron's sons, Huff, um, yes, his two sons had gone and offered the strange fire, remember? And what happened to them? Fire came out and killed them. And you know what God said to Aaron? Listen to these words. Through Moses, he said, don't uncover your head, neither rend your clothes, lest you die and lest wrath come upon the people. Don't you show emotion. Don't you mourn over what has happened because of your position. You must represent God in the factor that this is the rightful thing to have happened. Boy, is that tough, huh? And there was another place, Samuel was told, don't you pray anymore for Saul. And what had, had Samuel wanted to do was continue to pray for Saul. And then there's the factor of, of in Ezekiel, and this one really gets you. There's a message that Ezekiel as a prophet has to deliver to the people. And he says, the Lord comes and says, I'm gonna take your wife, the treasure of your heart. And I don't want you to weep. I don't want you to, to uh, have tears. I do, you can groan silently. 
he was showing an example of God to these people who had done wrong. I'm going to steal from you. And you're not allowed to show emotion in this situation. Wow. Are there times when our positions limit what we can do as far as our emotion? Absolutely. David says, if only, if only I could die instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. I don't know of a parent who has lost a child because of their wayward acts or has suffered under the situations that come from that that wouldn't say, let me take those, the punishment of that. Let me take it. But David couldn't, could he? It wasn't his place to carry that. You see, none of us can bear that for another. Only one can bear that. And his name is Jesus. One of the things we have to come to in our grieving experience is come to a place where we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Where we actually say, you know what? I realize I can't do one thing about what has happened. I can't change it. I can't make it go away. I've got to come to a place where I give this thing to God and I leave it in his hands because there's no other way. The devil will eat you up until you come to that place. We've got to give it back to God. And he is the judge of this whole earth and he's the one that does right. In Isaiah, we find those precious words that says he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be made whole and he was whipped so we could be healed. By his stripes, we are healed. There's an old song that I love, written by the Gaithers. And it talks about a battle, and it says there's a line that's been drawn through the ages. On that line stands an old rugged cross. On the cross, a battle is raging for the gain of men's soul or their loss. On one side, marches the forces of evil, all the demons and all the devils of hell, but on the other, the angels of glory, and they meet on Golgotha's hill. And the earth shakes with the force of that conflict, and the sun refused to shine, but there hangs God's son in the balance, and there, through the darkness, he cried, it is finished. The battle is over. It is finished. There'll be no more war. It is finished. The end of the conflict. It is finished. And Jesus is Lord. Yet in my heart, the battle still raged. Not all prisoners of war have come home. There are battlefields of our own making. We didn't know that the war had been won. But then I heard that the king of the ages had fought all the battles for me and that victory was mine for the claiming. And now, praise his name, I am free. I know that today we have many people in this place that have lost loved ones. I know that there are places where maybe you felt some of it was your fault. Other places where you never felt any of it was, but the pain was still there of that loss. The anger, the depression, 
You may still be sitting in those things because we haven't learned that the battle is already won. That you can't do anything. I can't do anything to change what has happened. But I can run to a God who can make all the difference. One who knows my hurts. One who is able to heal me. One who is able to make up for all the failures that have been there. I may never get that person back, but I've watched God fill again and again in my heart people, put people in my life that God allowed me to love and to be able to, to, to minister to and, and, and to make my kids Wherever you are today, whatever you've battled with, whatever anger or or resentment that may have been there, whatever pain of the hurt of the loss, let him heal you today. Realize the battle's been won. Jesus paid the price. And victory is mine for the claiming. I've got to do something. I've got to say, here, Lord, David will have to come to a place where he relinquishes, just like he did with Bathsheba's Bathsheba's child, where he finally gets up, washes his face, goes and eats, and worships. You've got to do that. I've got to do that today and not let the enemy hold us captive. So I invite you, as we sing, I invite the, worship, the prayer team up. I invite the worship team to share what's on their heart. I invite you, if you're hurting, if you're struggling over any kind of loss, let us pray with you today. Come and let the Lord give you victory. Let him touch your life and let him restore you. He wants to, and he's the only one that can. You were encouraged by today's talk. Be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.